Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your time to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, one, let's go. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, Charlie. What's up, Charlie? Doing great, man. How are you doing? It's 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 Monday in Los Angeles. I'm doing a cloud check. Uh, there's one way over there, so we're a, we're a one cloud day today in LA. That's that's how we're rocking. I love that, dude. So, Charlie, man, I'm super excited about this conversation, and the reason is because I need to ask you a bunch of questions that maybe I don't know, or maybe the audience doesn't know, and you're a Facebook expert, like you do the damn thing. So I'm super excited to hear. Um, I, I, first of all, dude, welcome to the show. Super excited about that. And if it's all right with you, um, let's just dive right in, dude. I'm, I'm totally fine with that, man. I'm, I'm ready. I got my swimming trunks on. Let's make it happen. All right. So Charlie, uh, you know, let me just ask you the first, uh, the first question I have for how did you start into Facebook? Like, how did you just wake up one day and you're like, oh, there's a new platform out. I think I'm just going to master it or how the hell, how did that work? Yeah, no, I mean, so before I got into advertising, I was a touring musician and radio personality and, and um, that career ended due to a national scandal with a sex tape of a professional wrestler and a uh, very famous New York uh, talk radio host pulling his funding from a less famous Tampa, Florida talk show radio host. And as that lawsuit made its way through the courts, I also made my way 2,500 miles across the country and got a $10 an hour data entry job in Hollywood for an illegitimate so- uh, social media company. Um, that then fired me three months later because their biggest account figured out what they were doing. I stole some work from them, started doing organic. My biggest client fired me because he put a hundred bucks into Facebook ads and did better than his 2K he was spending on, uh, with me with organic. And the next day I took basically his check to me, dropped it in on the credit card to Facebook started promoting my band. And within about a year of that, I was managing a seven-figure daily ad spend at a very large international conglomerate ad agency because I'm a very good hire and nobody really checked my resume. And basically, I was a, wor- I was a terrible employee that favored, well, testing and taking care of the client far more than the bottom line for the ad agency. And I effectively just failed my way up And became known by Facebook as somebody that was very good at determining how best to use their products. And over about a decade, I have done well into the nine figures of revenue and business across five different continents. And I've brought to market the lead gen ad unit, defined the best practices for CBO, defined the best practice for how to do creative testing, was part of the development group for Power 5, 
um, server to server that's now called Cappy. And I've spent a couple million dollars of Facebook's money to tell them how to use Facebook. And uh, to be honest, I think the extraordinarily entrepreneurial spirit that it takes to maintain having food in your stomach as a touring punk rock musician uh, ultimately led me to figuring out how to get money out of strangers on the internet. And I've turned that those evil powers for good. And uh, now I'm here. So, I mean, that is the very abridged, not even very interesting version of those stories. Good God. I mean, that, I can't even imagine the expanded version. So, <laughs> but, you know, so one of my questions is kind of tailored around one of the things that you said, and that's, I want to know, um, how do we know when the, how, how the algorithm changed recently? And if it has, what, what would the audience like to know about that to better do their Facebook ads? Yeah, I mean, I think, so the big thing that has occurred is, is this piece called the iOS 14. And, and that is the catalyst for what occurred. However, that's not the change. The, what occurred is the, the biggest structural change since the introduction of the conversion campaign. I remember running seven figures a day before there was a Facebook pixel. Um, before the conversion campaign existed. Um, and optimized CPM, the conversion campaign, when it came out, was um, doomsday, like uh, apocalypse, the world is going to end, um, end of everything as we know it. Um, it ended up being a core element. And we saw the same thing five other times since. Never that big. So what happened now is this introduction of aggregated events management, which is just basically a different way that Facebook is collating their data, which basically means the internal database. Facebook, when you look at it, is a giant pivot table with things that you can implement, just like Excel, right? Or Google Sheets. God bless yourself if you're trying to use pivot tables on Google Sheets. But uh, it, so what we're seeing now is data as a percent, as a, in the interest of privacy, which is an ongoing effort from iOS 12, iOS 13, CCPA, GDPRA, all of these fun different acronyms that everybody can throw around and, you know, monger some fear. What we're seeing is the less and less ability for the unfair advantage of Facebook as having this extraordinarily high amount of data on a user, less and less ability to take advantage of that in a way that people have relied upon for years. Now, what that really means is the people that have focused their business practices, not by implementing what Facebook says you should do, but by leveraging what worked for them in a shorter fashion that was less reliant on the customer journey and more reliant on hacking the, the uh, platform, those people are going to be suffering more and more. And one of the biggest scares that was really put out was by um, ad agencies and, and Facebook experts that really relied upon what we call delayed attribution. So up until a month or so ago, maybe two months ago, you were able to report your results on what they call the 28-day click. Um, and what that really meant was you were able to say, well, somebody clicked on this Facebook ad 28 days ago and then a sale happened. So I can take credit for that, which when you say it out loud in a sentence completely makes no sense at all. Um, but a lot of ad agencies relied upon this to, one, validate their worth, two, take credit for as much work of other departments as possible, and three, justify their business model, which is predicated on uh, commission of ad spend. So when these folks had to no longer rely on what is effectively a lack of integrity in their data as a business model, they were very scared. Um, and so they started talking about how are they going to address that, and that came across as, well, we're no longer going to be able to use data anymore. Facebook's completely unreliable. And what it really meant is the folks that have prioritized the customer journey and running a good business that know their data and are capable of implementing the scientific method are going to win. Basically, good business owners are going to win. Bad business owners are going to lose. Because Facebook was at a point where it was so smart that you could completely misuse the tool and still succeed. And the days of that are basically gone. It's like the gold rush of California is, is over, right? You can't just pick up a tent and a pickaxe and become a millionaire. 
That doesn't mean that gold as an industry is dead. It just right. means that you actually have to know what you're doing in order to be good at it. And where this has really been sold to people is basically saying, well, if you don't have a lot of money, you're screwed. And it's like, no, I know tons of my students that are spending a hundred bucks a day, a thousand bucks a day, five grand a day that are doing as good or better than brands that are spending 50,000 or a hundred thousand or more a day. It's because they've set up their ad account to take advantage of the way that Facebook functions instead of prioritizing being smart and putting in a lot of hard work. And the hard thing is, hey, look, I am all for somebody putting in a full day's work. I'm all for, I'm not saying that hard work is something that is bad. What I'm saying is that is not how you use a machine learning platform. Like if you have a factory and every machine in that factory does its job, it doesn't get any better because you put in more work at hitting the button at the beginning of the factory, right? I don't care how hard you try to smash that button. I don't care how many hours you put into hitting that button or to trying to micromanage every little step of the way. It's going to do its job. And you can either get in the way of that and try to say, well, look, the machine's doing all of this stuff, but it's because I'm implementing everything all over the place to validate your own existence. Or you can lean into letting it do its job for you. And instead, you can focus on things that actually matter, like caring about your customer, landing page conversion, customer service, your email campaigns, your every other platform you're working on, lowering your cogs, getting better shipping deals with UPS, like a million different things that actually move the needle for your business. Because Facebook ultimately should be something that's easy. And it is. I think it became more and more complicated because people created more and more problems because they were reliant on this data shift. And they were reliant on all this data. So they implemented strategies that work for other platforms. And that created more and more problems. And so ultimately what it means is if you have a Rube Goldberg device, 30 steps to flip a pancake and it no longer works, the solution isn't to make a 40 steps problem, a 40 step solution. That's how most people worked. However, that is fundamentally impairing people's long-term success. And this has been known for years. Most ad agencies that are spending a million dollars a month or more, folks that have direct Facebook reps, not salespeople, but high-end SMB team or higher reps have been taught this work since 2017, 2018, since there was a period of time where the Facebook platform was shown in chronological order. When that switched, Facebook became an optimized CPM platform. People basically ignored what that meant, and they continued to try to use what worked on Google and in demand and inventory-based platforms. And what that really means is Google's primary focus is to use a whole bunch of data and give the money, give the show the impression whoever's willing to pay most for the click to get you off of Google as fast as possible. Facebook deals and eyeballs for profit. Their number one objective is to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. So knowing that those platforms fundamentally function in completely different ways, have completely different business models and built for completely different experiences, plus Google doesn't control your experience across multiple devices and multiple platforms. Facebook does. Facebook, Instagram, the audience network piece, plus they own half of the internet as it is, like access to it, like the servers along with Amazon, like they control all of that. So they can control your experience. So implementing something that works on banner ads where retargeting is what you had to do or in Google where heavy segmentation works because you weren't able to create a customer journey or intent, applying those practices into Facebook had more and more diminishing returns. And this element of iOS 14 and really the an implementation of an aggregated events manager meant that the folks that relied on doing that Misusing the tool to create more work are seeing their returns get hit even harder and harder. And the folks that are really hurt by that are honestly the clients, the folks that have been lied to for years that are paying people that are basically solving problems by overhiring underqualified people that they poorly train and overworking them to solve the problem. Those people that would suffer the most. So at the end of the day, what has happened is Facebook is collating their data in slightly different ways than they did before. And it meant that you're going to get less ability to micro segment everything. So the things that you shouldn't do are getting harder and harder. The things that you should do are becoming more and more effective. So, but the bottom line of all of it is, if you've been adopting what you've been told to do for years, this is a wonderful move forward because it's actually going to improve your ability to mitigate it against the rising cost of the platform because every year it gets more expensive. If you fight against that, you're screwed. Yeah.
All right, so let me ask you this. All right, you mentioned Instagram and Facebook. Obviously, we all know they're owned by the same people. So which one would you say is more effective as far as putting ads on, running an ad campaign on? I would uh, challenge the premise of the question. Auto placement, auto bid, or I guess lowest cost bidding, don't address whether it's on Facebook or Instagram because you don't care. Right. My point is, it doesn't matter where that impression goes. Um, what you do see is people say, well, Instagram is far more efficient. I'm just going to shut off Facebook. And then they raise their spend. And then performance gets worse and worse and worse. The reason Instagram works for you is because that's where somebody made the final click. That was the last thing that got somebody over the finish line. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to the East Coast of the United States, but there's this place called Pedro's South of the Border. Now, if you've ever gone up and down I-95, you know there's a million billboards, right? And they're like, hey, kids, keep yelling, all that stuff. Now, the idea that Instagram is where you should be spending your money says that it is the salesperson inside of the store at Pedro South of the Border that should get credit for the sale. Not the hundred billboards that you saw since Pennsylvania, right? right? Or since like South, you know, like Florida. Like, so the idea is let the platform touch people in however that needs to be done because Facebook's already doing retargeting for you. Facebook is already finding individuals, however it's most effective to get their attention, to get them to do the thing. Just because you have some salesperson that pushes it across the finish line, like that person at the car dealership that sells you on the last thing of like, well, here's the protection plan. And that guy jacks it up 3K. That guy isn't responsible for millions of dollars of revenue. He's just the guy that tweaks that extra 3K on because he's made it that far up in the business that he doesn't have to do anything else. So Instagram is the thing that pushes you across the finish line. But if you don't have people prep for it, you're going to get worse and worse results. So I challenge the premise of the question by basically saying, let Facebook show your content wherever that content is going to do the best job. And your number one objective is to get better and better at getting actions to occur by people that see your content. Make your content better for the platform, increase your estimated action rate, and your bid will go down. So anything you do that makes it harder for Facebook to show the right ad to the right person is a liability to your success. So that's limiting to Facebook or Instagram, using interest groups or relying on heavy, heavily complex funnels with retargeting audiences and everything. All these things that work on other platforms are liabilities to success in an optimized CPM environment. Damn, great answer, Dean. So, <laughs> all right. So, my next question is: What? So, if I'm, you know, if I'm a small business, I don't have any money because I just started. Right, 2020 hit, wiped everything out, and now I have decided I am going to start a lawn service. But I did follow my lawnmowers, and I don't have any. I've got very little capital to spend. How much money as a young business that's practically broke, how does that person, how much money do they drop into Facebook ads to make a difference? Um, I would, you know, honestly, like, I think it depends on whether Facebook ads are the right solution for you. And what I mean by that is you have to prove the efficacy of any marketing effort. And while I happen to be a Facebook guy, I've also managed, you know, million dollar businesses, 10 million, 50 million, hundred million dollar businesses across multiple channels, right? Like, uh, I mean, sometimes are they SEOs their only channel and I have to be measuring their onboarding experience and everything else. My point is Facebook is the right tool to amplify things that you do well. Facebook is, should not be the tool that is what you live and die by. If your business is going to live and die by your ability to make Facebook work for you, then you don't have a business that should be using Facebook. And that doesn't mean you have a bad business. 100%, like you can be running the best business in the world and not be on Facebook ads at all. I know a guy right now that does $800,000, $900,000 profit a month, no Facebook ads. $50 million brand. He's killing it. He's not on Facebook because it's the wrong fit for him. And that's totally okay. Um, and I'm like director of conversion and revenue for him. So like I have sort of an idea for his back end. The point of it is like for that individual, Facebook might be a great way of letting the people around you know you exist. 
And especially for small businesses in local areas, like maybe what you end up doing is like a reach campaign where you're just optimizing manual bid on a CPM and you're throwing up as many ads as you can and just turning off the ones that cost more money to reach people. Because really at that point, the business objective of Facebook is not to make you money. The business objective of Facebook is to be top of mind when somebody wants that solution. So when somebody starts talking about something, when they start Googling things, when they start chatting about stuff or checking out websites, because Facebook is you know, tracking millions of billions of users on millions of websites around the world in 24 hours and basically updating that data in real time. When somebody shows that interest, and their behavior and their actions on any device where Facebook is logged in, so their phone, their laptops, their iPads, whatever, then you show up because Facebook has determined, well, you're talking about this thing. This person would probably like to see this content in their feed. We can use your content to keep this person on the platform and we can pay you for that or we can have you pay us for that. And that's their entire business model. So in that way, I would say your best effort there is to find whatever the most cost efficient way is to be reaching as many people as you can in a way that your business can afford because it's an investment in the incrementality of your growth. If you're not looking at it that way, um, print flyers, like do other work because all of that is effective, but like some, like Facebook's probably not going to be the thing that gets it done for you. Attention contractors of the Successful Life podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. And it kind of goes back to the first part of this, right? The people that didn't, they didn't take people on a journey. They didn't, they weren't customer slash client focused. And now that the things have shifted a little bit and that maybe the folks that I think that you're really referring to are people that did depend on Facebook, like you said, to run their business. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the sad part is there are people that got by without, people were able to run a business without having very good business business fundamentals because of the opportunity. And Facebook allowed a lot of money to be made for a lot of people that otherwise would not have been able to do it, which is fantastic. The problem is that as the growth of inventory go, diminishes and as the volume of spend, like I remember being, I did an effort for 1-800-Flowers. I was on this show for AMC called The Pitch. It used to air after Mad Men. It was like a reality TV show, right? reality game show and it was to be the aor for for 100 flowers and you had to do something completely ridiculous and innovative you had to spend a hundred thousand dollars and you couldn't use television or radio or print to promote the brand now mind you today great i'm gonna go for on facebook ads right at the time that wasn't an option this is like 2013 that wasn't a choice like that wasn't on the table that was not something you could do you fundamentally that wasn't even like that wasn't something that was an available choice so we had to solve the problem that way. And we invented something called social gifting. And we basically made it so that you could buy something for somebody else. And we did this, like, I got a whole YouTube video. My, my point is, like, I'm not going to try to say on that. My, my point is that you were able, we were able to make that work at the time because we were using the platform in a way that allowed us to increase the ability for that brand to see value from it. And what we did was... We um, had these five one hundred flowers has these five dollar cookies. Smiley face. Now five bucks for cookies probably too much, but it's delivered, right? So what we did is we said, okay, you get this cookie, you scan this QR code, it brings you to this Facebook group. You join the Facebook group. You say, hey, I got it. And you can pick one of your friends, and we'll send it to them for free. So we did twenty thousand of those. They built a Facebook group of twenty thousand people. Their average AOV on that twenty thousand people over the next year was about fifty bucks. So they made a million dollars by giving away 20,000 cookies. Dang. So my point there is we used the platform to amplify something that reinforced that business's core competencies, right? They had an email game. They had, they, they had all of that other stuff. 
So in that way, basically for you on Facebook, if you're really good at something, use Facebook to amplify that. And a lot of times that means like, maybe what your best at is my email game is strong. My site looks like shit. I'm not good at customer service, whatever, but my email game is strong. Great. Get people, use Facebook ads to get as many leads as you can. So you can grow this giant pool. So their email game can do something well. Uh, and that's why some people are crushing it influencer and the exact same brand run by somebody else is going to be really good at YouTube. Like there's a million ways to market something. Sure. So it's, it's all just built around this idea of using the tool properly. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's such a different, I think that's, well, first of all, I, I don't know that I, I didn't know all of that. Um, I didn't know the cookie story, which I think is phenomenal. And I think that's a great, I think that's a great point to highlight because groups are something that's another question that I had for you are, you know, are groups still the way to go? Facebook groups. And I say that in a way, in in a bit from a business standpoint, like let's just say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, Facebook is moving more and more to the groups. So what we did then was it was a Facebook page, right? And the, at the time you were just, everybody was bidding for page likes because that was giving you the greatest reach, right? Um, and like, those are the first big Facebook campaigns were page like campaigns, just get people to like my page, right? And it was basically right. traffic because Facebook page was your website. Facebook groups are still very good. I think they're wildly underutilized. And I mean, I've used them to, mo- I've monetized the shit out of Facebook groups. Like I've got one myself, it's about 12,000, 13,000 people. And I've got a, several, you know, very nice streams of income that come from monetizing that attention. I've also worked with plenty of other brands where we built, you know, 8,000 person or 300,000 person Facebook groups. Um, and, and I think that it's incredibly valuable for you to own attention in a specific way that allows you to address people in a way that you can monetize. Whatever that looks like is really strong for you. For me, I'm garbage at email, but I can go into a Facebook group and I'll probably get the same, like what you consider open rate on an email. Like if I have a hundred people in a Facebook group and I get 12 people to look at a video, I'm going to whine about the Facebook group and like my reach sucks. But if I get a 12% open rate on an email, I'm like the greatest email marketer of all time. So understand like what it is that you're talking about. It's all monetized attention. So understand what you're good at and lean into it. And in that case, like Plenty of brands are killing it with Facebook groups. And I don't see any reason why that should in any way depreciate. I think it's just another tool that if you use properly can be an incredible asset for you. I mean, it's a CRM database, right? So it's the same thing as buying leads. Like it's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Like, I, I, like, yeah, like it's just getting leads always be closing. If you have a lead full of people that are excited about what you have to do and you haven't sold them yet and you're just using that to mature them through the process, awesome. So- yeah. I, any tool is only as good as the person using it. And there are really poorly designed tools that one wh- nut job has figured out how to make a million dollars off of. And if you're going to try to tell him he's wrong for doing it, well, he's doing better than you are. So you should shut up. Like, so like, that's my point to it. And I think that there's no reason for that to go away. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I totally think you're right. So, uh, all right. So um, targeting. Right. We hear about targeting. We hear about retargeting. Can you break that down for, let's just say I'm a small HVAC company and I want to target people that I think could use my product and service. How would I go about doing that? And if I know nothing about targeting, but I hear the buzz and maybe I've heard people talk about it, whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, how would you suggest somebody that owns a small HVAC company target their ideal customer? Yeah, I mean, I think create ads that talk to the people that have needs, right? So who needs an HVAC person? Someone that needs their air conditioning fixed, somebody that just bought a house, somebody doing renovating. Know your customer, great, those are your headlines. Your, your content should be whatever, you know, you think sells, you know, your HVAC and your, and your copy can just be talking about value ads or quality or all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like the easiest way to win that game is dynamic, creative, five different headlines, which are all different use cases for your brand, 
different sets of copy that sell people. Because when you're doing HVAC, you're not selling a product. You're selling confidence in a service, right? Yeah. So your copy, the words above and below the image are basically saying, that's me. And then the picture is something to get grab their attention. So as far as targeting is concerned, age, gender, location, those are the only targeting elements you ever need inside of Facebook unless you're spending well over a million dollars a year. That's $2,740 a day. If you're not at at least three grand, you don't need more than that. Um, and if you're in HVAC, there's no way you're going to spend that much. I mean, even in New York, there's just not enough inventory, right, uh, of users to be spending like millions of dollars a year. So for there, like your targeting is age, gender, location. People over the age of maybe 20, depending on where you are and a homeowner looks like there. I mean, a homeowner in Indiana or in Atlanta or in Oklahoma is going to be very different than a homeowner in L.A., uh, I mean, I just bought my first home here in LA. I'm 37. Most of my friends are still like renting because uh, it's like homes are a million dollars, right? Like, I mean, a shack is like 800 grand. So like, who's going to buy? So understand what your market is. If that's, if your market is my, the people I can service. Awesome. I'm a five mile radius from this address. Great. Drop that address in five miles, run one dynamic creative. And the sole purpose of that thing is to reach people for as cheap as possible. And then- get rid of anything that gets in the way of that that makes sense and at first but first you got to know who you're targeting right you yeah know well, you have that to know for that like you target with the ad you target with your creative a targeting audience is an obsolete concept in an optimized cpm environment and what i mean by that is every ad creates a lookalike audience so every ad is its own web page. That web page is measured with click-through rate and bounce rate and just like anything else. Facebook looks at that to say, what is going to keep somebody on the platform and what is the liability to our ultimate business model of eyeballs for profit? If you're a liability to their business model, they're going to make you pay more. If you are an asset to the business model, you get premium pricing, but you get discounted rates. So what you want to do more than anything, because they're making those lookalike audiences, think of it as every version of an ad is a giant circle. Well, inside of your entire audience, let's say that's a big box. Facebook is going to try to target all of those circles because those are the highest quality individuals and every ad may overlap, they might not. Now, if you put in a targeting audience, like say homeowners or something like that, that big, huge box of everybody is now just this little window that Facebook can determine may or may not be good for you. And then your ads are only gonna be shown where the, the lookalike audience that your ads create overlap with that other targeting audience. So now you're only hitting the Venn diagram of like your targeting audience and where that ad works. And so you can train the platform to be good at that, but understand you are fundamentally making the work harder, less stable and less efficient and ultimately limiting your ability to be as profitable as possible because you are leveraging hard work and keeping Facebook dumb as a business objective. And honestly, like, I think that you should empower your employees to be as, as strong as possible. Surround yourself with alphas. Don't act out of insecurity and you're going to be much better off. So that that's kind of where I come from on that. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that makes complete sense. All right. So, um, or organic traffic, right? So can you speak about, you know, is organic traffic still relevant right now? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think organic traffic or organic attention is phenomenal. Like, uh, you can, uh, depending on the level of your business, like, I know plenty, plenty of people in, like, the coaching space that are using organic, they're using Instagram reels to reach 1,000 people, 5,000 people a day, and they're making, you know, 10, fig, you know, five, five-figure months $10,000 months, $50,000 months, and they're not running any paid media because they don't have to. Because Facebook's number one objective is to show people content it thinks they're going to enjoy, your number one lever of success is not money, it's understanding your customer and showing, making content for them. So the person with the biggest pocketbook will lose to the person that makes the best content nine times out of 10 unless you can just afford to burn money. And there are a lot of brands that can completely afford to burn money because their business model is not built around being profitable. 
they might be in a market share acquisition spot because their agri- their their you know funder the guy the bank has basically said go get as much of the market share as possible. Like if you want to compete against Uber or Airbnb, you're not going to do it by being profitable. You're going to do it by stealing as much market share. Like Verbo is not running on we're making month over month profit gains. They're running on we're stealing as much business from Airbnb as possible, and then we're going to turn that around into something that's profitable. But they're remaining less than profitable for as long as possible because that ultimately gives them a larger mountaintop when they just do decide the profitability is their business objective. And I mean, a lot of small businesses probably don't have to deal with that, but the point is everybody's motivation is different. Like when I was spending a million dollars a day for CBS, we had no interest in making money. We were using interest groups and targeting to understand who best to sell advertising space on our TV shows to. So when you're trying to be clever by targeting an interest group, understand that there's a million assholes out there dropping seven figures a day for market research. You're never going to beat them because they don't even need to make money. Making money isn't even in anywhere on their business objective. And if you have, if you have, you know, a room full of people with, you know, fuck you money and you're trying to run a legitimate business, you're screwed. Yeah. But if you can give a shit about your customer and make things that talk to their pain points and get their attention, you don't have to pay a dime and you're going to make a lot of money. 100%, dude. Because it is about, look, you, and I know you'll agree with this. People don't buy for their reasons. They buy, I'm sorry, they don't buy for your reasons. They buy sure. for their reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so you have to understand what those reasons are. I think it's infinitely more impactful in, to do market research with your desired customer base and to understand who that customer is than to drop a million dollars on creative testing. Like you can get the Harmon brothers to make you the next like, you know, amazing video. And I'll probably net out ahead of you if I do like four or five, if I'm on calls with customer service every day. If I talk to customers on a daily basis, I'm going to beat you until you can spend enough money to pay off the Harmon brothers, plus all the market research that it takes. It's gonna take you a year to maybe catch up to where I'm at. Now you might beat me in the long game, but like if we're talking about where we're against each other and you can drop a million dollars on one 30 second spot, like I'm going to be able to amplify that attention at a level that is going to take you years to be able to catch up with. And I mean, look, Squatty Potty made made a ton of money off of that, but they built off of understanding their customer at a very core element. So they weren't coming out of the gate with that. They were doing stuff for a decade before that. They were force multiplying their consumer knowledge. That is why that crushed for them. And you see some amazing ads where you have no clue who the advertiser was and that business is not able to buy a Super Bowl ad the next year because they fired everybody. Like that happens all the time. Right. So it's kind of like what you were describing earlier. This is, it's, it's like the signs going, leading up to south of the border right yeah you're so what you're saying is squatty potty they put the signs out before they got to the destination sure yeah i mean they were on i i mean they were you know supporting podcasts for like 10 years like like rupaul's podcast was was doing squatty potty things for like seven years before the Harmon brothers thing came out right like the uh, the fact is they knew their market they maximized every effort. They understood who their customer was. And they understood, okay, if we wanna make a splash outside of our safe zone, we're going to reach out the people that can fundamentally bring us to mass market. And they did that because that was the right next move. Not because, well, we wanna make a million bucks. We started a little business yesterday. We're gonna hire these creative geniuses and then hopefully things work out. Like that's not what happened. And honestly, the Harmon brothers, they don't take business from people like that. Like they have no desire to attach themselves to people that are not going to be successful. And that's one reason why landing them is huge. Like Vayner Media is another one that's like that Gary, like, I mean, Gary's not like signing off on every contract, but they don't take business that they're not going to win on because they don't have to. They're not in the sales business because they do good work, you know? And so I, I think that's ultimately like, if you're really trying to understand what success looks like, you, it's fundamentally built off of knowing your customer, which is ultimately why these privacy concerns that we're seeing on Facebook are going to limit the folks that run bad businesses. And it's not 
necessarily that the business is bad, but if you don't have good business acumen, your ability to succeed because of a wicked Facebook ad is probably pretty low. And there's always going to be a unicorn that's going to just come out of nowhere that has no idea what they're doing, that just hit a jackpot and made a million bucks. And that's fantastic. And I hope there's as many of them as possible. But getting lucky should not be a core element of your business model. No. I think that's a bad business model. If yeah, that's like go pull lottery tickets. You have a better chance of making me a million dollars. And you're not yeah. going to of people coming after you. Right. And if you've ever read the odds on the back of a lottery ticket, you know that that's pretty slim that the chances are you. Yeah, and, and probably still better than making a million dollars on Facebook without giving a shit about your customer. Right. Um, that That's priceless, dude. I love it. So um, I did want to... So I did want to go ahead and Charlie, I think it's important to take some questions from the audience. Let's we do it, man. I can do this stuff all day, it. man. Let's look, nothing helps me better than solving people's problems. I've been solving people's problems for nearly a decade. And what that means is every time I go into a room and somebody's got some humdinger and they think they got me licked, I've already talked to 20 people that haven't handled that problem and saw five of them through it. And I understood what didn't work for the other 15. So I can solve your problem. And now it's just fun because I'm a nerd and I like making money and I like attention. So those, I'm good at three things, attention, money, and eating an ungodly amount of food. Those are the three things that I'm good at. I'm bad at a lot of stuff that I enjoy doing, but those are the three things that I'm like genuinely better than most people in a room. I'm also like an obnoxiously good bowler for no good reason. Surprisingly, I'm an obnoxiously good uh, frisbee golf player. There you go. Like, it's weird. Yeah, like, hey, man, for whatever reason, like, I've been bowling in probably a year and a half, two years. I went bowling, like, a week ago, and it was, like, 220, 217, and then, like, a 160 game, and I was pissed that I got a 160. And it's just like, oh, I haven't done this in forever. Let's just shoot the shit. Oh, hey, look at that. I uh, No closed frames. Cool. I mean, all closed frames. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm solid. I know enough to know the vernacular of I got I got no ham bones, but I had closed frames all the way through, uh, and that's about as good as I'm as I'm gonna get. But I'm again obnoxious at something, and I basically only invest my time and energy into things that I'm already better than most people because I don't that like. That makes losing. sense. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And why would you focus on areas you suck at? Let somebody else focus on right? like, I get that you can always get better at things. But I feel like what the truly elite move, especially in businesses, surround yourself with people that are better than you at every single thing you're not the best in the room at. And you're going to get better. I mean, the best business people I know are the worst person at the room at everything other than deciding the direction of the business. Those people, filthy rich. Because they invested in it, right? Like they have the luxury of overpaying for talent and they just hired like, like by the time somebody hires me to do their work, I am I am not only the best guy in the room, I'm the best person they talk to in a year about getting the job done. And that's great. That means that they, they don't have to worry about it anymore. They're paying me for the lack of worry and the confidence, right? Yeah. And that's what it should be about. Surround yourself with alphas and life is going to be good. You can either run off of ego or you can be successful. And ego is not your amigo. There you go, my man. I love it. That's one of my favorite things. Yes. So, um, all right. So we do have, hey, Christina, um, would you like to ask Carly a question? Or, or not, Christina. Yeah, there you are. All right, so Callie, we cannot hear the volume. <laughs> So Charlie, I know you're a huge fan of, um, of creative testing. Mm -hmm. What's some what's some really fun like clashes where where you've seen like, hey, let's try five totally different things that you got an unexpected maybe you got an unexpected result or where sure. is have you seen that like really surprisingly play out? Yeah, I mean one of my big clients or where I learned a lot was in this brand 310, 310 nutrition. Um, and we brought them from about 8 million to an SPAC that almost went oh, to a Deloitte and they fell about 5 million short of a nine figure valuation. 
uh, a bit of a heartbreaker, but a great success story, but ultimately one that ended with uh, a lot of people leaving the company. Anyway, uh, and aside, my apologies. Uh, but one of the great things we found with them is they were really built around influencer stuff, right? In a way that like influencer had not, was not a thing yet, right? I mean, we're talking 2016, 2017, paying celebrities that like real housewives, like a grand a month to take five pictures and do stuff. And one of the things that we found, like it was so bizarre trying a bunch of different ideas with them. And I loved that that guy was like, I want to make a $10,000, I want a $10,000 lesson. And he was completely fine uh, blowing money to learn things. And it was great. And one of the things that we found there that was completely obnoxious, that totally worked, and I've been using it a lot since, was, and became actually one of my core strategies, was um, retargeting with, with upsells. So like, you don't want the, the full price product. You don't want the discounted product. Okay, how about four? And people are like, okay, I'll take that. And what I realized was, it's the classic, um, it's the classic uh, uh, infomercial thing. Like, okay, the Ginsu knife. That's cool. You want the knife? Yes or no? Hey, that's cool. Maybe I'll spend 30 bucks on that. But wait, wait, wait. You don't want the $30 thing? Fine. I'm going to throw in two of them plus some blocks, the little thing that cuts the fish. You're going to get like a knife in it. You're going to get another thing. And then it comes up in a nice wrapper. And then by the way, uh, we'll give you twice that for three easy payments, $29.95. And now I was on the fence of maybe considering paying you 40 bucks for one. But now that you made it really easy for me to drop a buck 50, I can't pick up the phone fast enough. And finding out, stumbling my way into doing that on Facebook ads has been a core element of how I've driven AOV and customer journey. Because what I realized is that a lot of times the product is wrong in the fit because somebody else is willing to give the person something they want because they're already sold on the concept. Very few people are innovative in the actual product that they're bringing to market. Most people are selling a version of something that somebody's already sold themselves on. For instance, like if somebody's selling wallpaper, you can sell a sample and you can run your whole business saying, well, people that buy samples are really like, like they all like, they, they tend to buy more things. Great. So you can buy, uh, you can sell a bunch of samples for $5 a piece and hopefully you make some money or you can sell, sell somebody enough to fill out their whole house and just be like, Hey, do you want to buy this? One of them is a thousand dollar product. One of them is a $5 product. Do you know how hard it is to scale a business on a $5 AOV where like one out of hundred people buy things. And if maybe just start trying to focus on really bad customers that are all $5 people that can't ever buy that thousand, you might get another 500 customers and four more people that are likely to buy. Like that's not a scalable business model. So like offering people higher price things increases your conversion rate because people are disqualified qualifying themselves early enough that that customer journey is far more profitable. And that was so groundbreaking to me when I thought the solution is, well, just discount the product. Discounting the product brought you lower quality customers that were less likely to pay you more money, that had lower LTV over time, lower brand awareness, and ultimately was a losing game because Jeff Bezos already won that fight. Wow. Wow. I want to switch it over to Clubhouse and we're going to take some audience questions. All right, let's do it. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and, Charlie, if you could let everybody know where they can find you, because this concludes this part of the podcast, and we are going to move it over to CH. So could you let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me, uh, facebookdisruptor.com is my site. From there, you can find my YouTube page, my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook groups, all of which are at CT the Disruptor, uh, also me on Clubhouse. Uh, the YouTube is The Facebook Disruptor. By the way, Facebook Disruptor is not a name I gave myself. Um, they have an internal group called the Disruptor Group. It's the top 100 advertisers on the platform. Um, I got in there because I've been defining best practices and spending a ton of Facebook's money to teach them how to use their product so that they can teach other people how to make money with it. Um, that's the internal name for the group. And a lot of those people are students of mine. I just didn't realize when I, started, when I joined Twitter that like nobody's talking about it and everybody that's an expert has no clue that this thing actually exists. So I just ended up taking that as a brand accidentally. Uh, so you can find me everywhere, the Facebook disruptor. And, and um, yeah, and from there you can find information. You can see organic stuff. You can pay for eBooks. I got courses. I, I got 
an MBA training program where I'm basically over like a nine week period going to be able to train folks to use Facebook in a way where instead of solving the problem by under training people that you overwork and poorly pay, um, you could get rid of like three or four of them and have one person do a job that keeps that client. So you don't need the sales team to work nearly as hard because the relationships you do have are actually profitable after after three months, six months, nine months. Uh, and really training people how to understand that so they can stop taking advantage of by, you know, people that honestly don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, so any level of that stuff from Patreon, where you just get ebooks and things all the way up to courses, Slack group and full on uh, training. Um, over the years, just everybody asked me for more and more stuff. And I got I didn't want to I didn't want to find here it is. And then, you know, five years later, now I've got a solution for everybody. And it has made my life great, because all I did was respond to overwhelming market demand and I've had no losses. So uh, taking my own advice, that, that's what I'm doing. So find me at facebookdisruptor.com and I'd love to talk to anybody. Honestly, I am a bit of a nerd and I'm legitimately kind of obsessed with helping people like measure, test and scale their ad accounts. And, and that primarily just comes from, uh, I had enough experts sell my work uh, and lie about their version of the results that I kind of have this chip on my shoulder, honestly. Like where it really broke the dam for me was Tim Bird selling the cloud CBO, which is 100% my bucket-based CBO case study from a year and a half before. Word for word, he did it on stage for 20 minutes, sold for $700. When that happened, I was at a convention in Vegas when he filmed that. And I was like, holy shit, I wrote this deck. And from then on, it was like, screw it. I, I've, I've picked my side. And my goal is to help people out so that low integrity individuals who require fear mongering and a lack of overall business acumen to succeed, they're in my crosshairs and we are aligned in an immortal battle to the death. And I'm going to come out on top one way or the other. And I'm very happy about it. So that's where you can find me. Perfect, Charlie. Appreciate it, my man. I'll let you know when this drops and uh, really appreciate you coming on today. And thank you, sir. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.